the Where to Hunt Where podcast. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bowhunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody. Howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast. Coming at you from the OKest Hunter podcast studio in the Midwest, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Mix it up a little bit there, everybody. Switch it around. Head on over to uh, okisthunter.com and use code W2HPODCAST, and you're going to save 10% off some OK gear. It's OK. We just dropped a new T-shirt and uh, hoodie today. Shoot deer. Don't nice. overthink it. Don't overthink it. Just That's shoot it. deer. Just shoot the deer. That's all I got to do. Try not to miss. <laughs> But that's that's the premise. Guaranteed one of those every so often. Yes, sir. Uh, speaking of that, um, on the produced podcast version, you'll hear my story of how I waffled out on one. Just yeah, you send did. It, sent it sailing over the back of a nice buck. I'll never forget it. You learn a lot of lessons that way, the hard way. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's what we got going on. How's your week going so far? Can't complain. Text calls are up. It's uh, heating and... It's always plumbing season, but it's definitely heating season for me. So, yeah. Life, Life is, is good. good. All right. I like the shirt you got on there. <laughs> hey, Speaking thanks. of OK Center, nice blaze orange. Right? It's, uh, sure is pretty pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple other uh, call-outs here. We are partnered with Fleet Farm. Greg and I were just reviewing their weekly ad stuff. So if you, you know, do a Google search... Uh, for your fleet farm, it'll pull up whatever's on sale at the fleet farm that's nearest to you. So maybe the things we're calling out here in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, might be different for you if you're in like Dodge County or wherever. Yeah, if you're, um, you're shopping in another Appleton location, or... everybody's got different sales. So it... but here we are. What's cooking here in Oconomowoc, Eric? Well, you know, it's funny because you're like, oh, should I bring bring some stuff up for snacks? And I was like, yeah, well, if we no want to fleet farm, they have two for two for four uh, dry roasted peanuts right now. That's pretty nice. Two for four. Two for four. So if you're heading somewhere uh, on a drive and you need some snacks, I think you know where to go. And for any of the online shoppers, uh, we will have a discount code for our listeners soon. Big wheels turn slow. So, um, you know, they're working all that out for us. We're excited to be part of them. And for now, just get your butt into the store and see what you want to get. That's what I got for that. Do it. All right. We got some more stuff here. What Bring do we it. got? Let me show you my buttons right here. Wake up and smell the coffee. Backwoods grind coffee, that is. Now this ain't your fancy schmancy city boy coffee. This is what your grandpappy used to drink. And lucky enough for you loaf around slack asses, they got a subscription service. Deliver any other six blends right to your door. Even a sampler. I like the fireside blend. Nice and dark. They got something to suit every one of your tastes, light to dark and everything in between. Backwoods Grind Coffee, for those who work hard and play harder. W2H, Rut Club. <gasps> Wrong button, and that one doesn't stop playing. <laughs> Can't turn that one off. 
we'll try again in a second. That one's going to take oh, a minute. Wow. So while that one's running, we'll just see that go down. Why don't you do vector and then we'll finish up? Yeah. So if you're looking for a custom built arrow, one that's built to your spec, uh, check out vectorcustomshop.com. Uh, you can order a two pack of arrows built pretty much however you want. If you want to try two different spines with different weights up front, uh, the rock and the ethics insert outsert system, uh, pick two different ones, give them a test flight, see what shoots best for you. And then you can go over and order a half dozen or a dozen of them. And when you do, when you uh, go check out, use code where to hunt and that'll save you 10% off anything on vectorcustomshop.com. 10% is pretty good over there. Okay. I got it. <laughs> Take a look at your feet. Are you wearing gum leaf USA boots? You said no. You gotta reevaluate some things. Each pair is handmade and tested to take over a million flexes. These boots will take just about anything you can throw at them. Use promo code W2H2020 for 10% off your final purchase at gumleafusa.com. We like our gumleaf boots. Okay, by the way, too, one other announcement here. I think we said it last time, but if you, for those that can't see the camera that are listening in podcast land, just picture this beautiful 12-point uh, drop-tine buck. And then think about if you're going to celebrate or, <laughs> like, maybe you're... Drowned your sorrows. <laughs> trying to drown your sorrows from missing. Uh, you can check out Drop-Tine Spirits, uh, droptinespirits.com, and then... Uh, be sure to check out their 12-point bourbon. That's what we're drinking. Uh, Drop Time Spirits is the official drink of the Where to Hunt podcast, and their 12-point bourbon is like deer camp in a bottle. It is good. So I think it's smoother than deer camp in a bottle, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's probably like a classy deer camp in a bottle. Very classy. It's like deer camp if you had leather chairs. Right. Yeah. And cigars and yeah. drink your drink and with some a Some people got that. You know, We're just not at that level in life yet, but this makes us feel like we can be. So... It's quite good. That's what we got going on. All right, let's bring our guest on. Greg, I think due to the last name, you're going to do the introduction. Before we get into our guest interview of the week, let's go ahead and get into W2H Rut Club Radio. All right, uh, Rut Club Radio is brought to you by Heated Hunts. Head on over to heatedhunts.com. Use code where the number to the word hunt, and you're going to save 10% off. They make heated hunt scent dispensers, and uh, they also make synthetic scents. So if you want to heat up those scents, you simply spray down the wick with whatever scent that you have, and uh, that scent will get heated, so it'll be more natural to the deer in the area, and it'll travel further, and it'll prevent it from freezing. So again, super cool product lineup that they have. Check them out, heathunts.com. Use code where the number to the word hunt. Uh, this week, we did field a call for Rut Club Radio, although we did have a number of comments that had come through from people that were literally sitting in the stand watching Rut Club Radio live and report on some deer activities. So sounds like there's definitely uh, a bit more activity going on. I wouldn't say it's rut related yet. It's more due to cold front um, and shift in food sources and things of that nature that are getting these deer moving. One of the guys that had commented said that he was surrounded by 15 does Um and another gentleman had said that he was watching a couple does in a nice basket rack eight-pointer out in the cornfield that he was hunting on while in the stand watching Rut Club Radio. So a buddy of mine in Michigan said he had actually sent some pictures over of a bunch of does in the field. And then our friend Bill Thompson 
uh, with Spartan Forge had sent a video through and a picture through of a nice buck that was in his backyard um, during daylight. So, you know, good activity to be seeing out there. Pretty exciting stuff. So uh, let's get into our call. Hey, Levi, you're live on Where to Hunt, Rut Club Radio. What's up, buddy? Oh, not much, guys. Just thought I'd stop in, say hi. You know, first time or long-time listener, first-time caller kind of stuff. So. <laughs> I like it. Thanks for calling. Thanks for yeah, uh, helping I- me with my audio issues there. Yeah, I told you our quality sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I don't know. I'm just hearing you guys talk about deer hunting, and I'm just having a hard time finding the motivation this year. Well, if you're out chasing birds, I don't know what it is. <laughs> now, you guys are big. You guys are big waterfall hunters, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I grew up big game hunting first and foremost, so. You know, and I think you guys a picture of the buck that showed up on our trail cam. Yeah, so dandy. Not, and for some reason, I'm still not finding the motivation. Well, and you know, if you're more of, if you're more of a rut hunter, I mean, I don't know, but imagine your rut kind of takes off like our, ours does, and you know, end of October, November is when things really start rocking and rolling. Um, yeah. And you're you're in a good time of the year right now to be chasing ducks. So I get it. Um, I was in your shoes once upon a time. I mean, my dad started us out deer hunting and deer hunting was key to, uh, you know, our beginning into hunting. He didn't really take us in, into, uh, get us into waterfowl or pheasant or small game much. And then uh, I just, I got into waterfowl with a buddy and kind of sat back on, on deer hunting a little bit. I didn't really do much of it. But I had a lot of fun with the waterfall and learned something new. So it's kind of hard to give up something when you're successful at it. And, you know, yeah. And you're having a blast. And if you got a good well, crew of guys to go with. Yeah. Well, and, you know, after the archery elk, I mean, even if I didn't, I've been getting elk this year, it's just kind of hard to go back to chasing deer from chasing you know bugle and screaming bull elk you know so it's a different animal i'm fighting a little bit with it too sure it's well, a different you gotta, animal you gotta you know man the fuck up dude get back out there what are you <laughs> what are you talking about do i gotta come over there and slap you a little bit no, come on i think we need to load our load our trucks up and go out there <laughs> you just gotta get out there and, and it'll 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 be fine you'll be fine <laughs> yeah that's maybe why i just need to do get my feet wet that's exactly it. Actually do it. Yeah, get out there and you find that first bit of sign, that big track, the rub, and some scrapes, and and then maybe find a few beds and go. Yeah, okay, here he's at, or maybe he's not. But I hear you though, man. Yeah. To, I don't because I've never experienced that. So it's got to be like when I went fishing in the Boundary <laughs> Waters, we caught like tons and tons of big, big, big fish every cast, you know. And then I come back down here uh-huh. and it's like nothing. I'm like, well, this is stupid. I don't want to fish again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, I've never had this feeling before, ever. Usually I find every excuse to get out in the field, no matter what it is, and it's just really odd to me, just not feeling the need to or the want to really go out and do it. I don't know what or not, if I'm just in a weird mid-season kind of lull or what. But um, yeah. like you guys said, I just need to get back out there, and we'll get after it. Right. Well, and at a girl, you got it too. It's hard to, uh, you know, you're having success at waterfall and it's not necessarily pressing the easy button, but it's like, yeah, I know what I want to do. I'm, this is what I want to do. 
I've done the whitetail thing or I've done the, the deer hunting thing and it's, it's great and it's fun, but it also makes for a long season. Mm-hmm. If you got a wife and kids at home, it's kind of tough to run around and do it all. You got to kind of pick and choose mm-hmm. your battles. And if you're going to be a, a guy that picks and chooses his battles, maybe the November battle is best, you know, take a few days in yeah. November to go chase a buck. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what I'm, I'm going to do at least bop out to a couple of farm fields that I've got permission on. What's the activity you know, like over there? You can just get an eater, eater dough. There you what go. What's the activity like over there right now? What, um, I mean, you're in Wyoming, uh, whitetail, we've learned from you when you're on the show that they're not like really a big ticket item out there, uh, in contrast to like an elk, but what, uh, like what's your rut like over there? Is it end of October? From what I'm seeing, we're, we're, yeah, we're definitely getting a shift in activity. That's for sure. You're starting to see, um, a lot more more deer out in the daytime i feel like you know well at least not midday but you know uh a little bit less nocturnal activity at least is what i'm seeing so you know you're seeing them out there feeding and whatnot but you're also getting like you guys were talking about earlier you're getting your cornfield cut and stuff like that so it's kind of pushing deer around making them find different cover and different food sources so that might be part of it as well so it's similar to what you guys are seeing. Sure. Just a little bit more rolling hills than what we've got. <laughs> yeah, the scenery, yeah. the scenery yeah. is nothing yeah. else, man. Good excuse to get the heck outside. But how's your trailer coming along that you guys are building over there? Uh, it, it's actually pretty much just it's done. But then we decided we're going to flip the axles on it. So. It's going to be a little bit of a trip. Uh, we're going to actually take it out this weekend, um, go jump over into Montana since we're closed for waterfowl this this week. But Montana opens up this uh, this weekend. Nice. We're going to take the trailer up there and take it for its maiden voyage. So, so flipping the axles, are you doing that for more ground clearance for some of the nasty places you got to take it? Yeah, I mean it's because it is a car hauler, it is a little bit lower of a trailer. Sure, it's they sling, they put um, the yeah, axle we, we above the, the springs instead of below them. Yep, yep, and it'll give us more ground clearance when we're going into fields. You know, if you're happening to go over a culvert and then into the field, sure, you know, you got a little bit more of that elevation change, and it'll help accommodate that. And the way we're not pulling the whole rear end off the thing so <laughs> that would be uh that'd be a story yeah, that'd be a tiktok video gone viral <laughs> look at these goofballs <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah that we are we, we definitely fit that key that's so. part of being a duck hunter though you got to be a little goofy <laughs> oh man i'm a lot goofy you guys know that oh love it <laughs> yeah i've seen a little too much of you i think that one video you shared thrusting in the in the field Oh boy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Eric, Eric. What do you think of this? Well, I'm not sure what I just watched, but I think something's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too much fun. Oh man. Well, thanks for calling into Very the show, fun. dude. We're gonna be live again at seven. So if you wanna like get a double dose of Greg and Eric, we'll be around. Hey, I can always deal with a double dose of Greg and Eric. Awesome. No matter how bad that sounds. <laughs> sounds like Ace and sound, Gary. It sounds pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, guys. See Thank you. you. Bye. See you.
So we have with us tonight Bill Vanderheiden with Iron Wheel Outfitters. How are you doing, Bill? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, we're good. We're just getting rolling here. So uh, we're excited to have you. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule and out of the woods to, to hang out with us tonight. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what, you, what you got going on, where you're from, all that good stuff. Yeah, you caught me at a good time. I uh, just finished a Montana elk hunt, and I've got about two weeks without a hunt plan. So I'm, uh, I'm in the office for a while here trying to catch up. Um, yeah, I'm originally from from Wisconsin. I uh, grew up there, went to uh, went to school in Madison for mechanical engineering at the, at the UW there, and worked um, worked in the Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota area for several years, and then moved to Colorado about 20 years ago. Now, so you're still a Badger fan and Packer fan? I am definitely all right. Badger fan and Packer. Awesome. I haven't seen any. I've been in the field a lot, but uh, it's good to see the Packers are still at uh, four and one right now. I think so. Four and one, great. Yeah, they couldn't pull that W out on the last one. They got, in my opinion, kind of creamed. I didn't watch much of it, but that was pretty ugly. Seemed rough. <laughs> oh well, still got a good record, like you'd called out, so we don't have to be too depressed about it. Yeah. So you are uh, running what seems to be a fantastic company with incredible products um maybe tell us kind of how that got started um maybe that has to do with your move a little bit or what have you but we'd love to hear a little bit of the backstory yeah um so i grew up you know whitetail hunting loved bull hunting whitetails um in wisconsin i had an opportunity for a job out in colorado and really wanted yeah i'd always kind of wanted to elk hunt and um go hunt in the mountains and took the job, moved out here and, um, started elk hunting. It was, it was tough. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, a lot of things I'd learned from whitetail hunting didn't, didn't really apply to, uh, elk hunting. It, it was, a uh, lot to learn there. And when I, um, took a few years before I got a, a shot on a bull and, um, Charlie too far forward, hit the shoulder, shoulder blade, shoulder bone anyway. And, uh, broadhead failed got very little penetration and i was pretty devastated um you know i spent i think the bull probably lived through it but i spent the whole week looking for him and i was really bummed that um my broadhead couldn't get through that what seemed to be a back edge of the shoulder blade blade hit and yeah, i'd used the the head i'd used um same heads i've been using in in wisconsin for white tails and they've done fine there and uh think with that bigger animal bigger bones it's more likely to fail and so i started really as a mechanical engineer i started um really kind of scrutinizing the broadhead design and saw the failure modes to it and started uh, researching different broadheads buying and testing a lot of them just trying to find kind of the best broadhead out there and and you know after a year or so of doing that i just decided that you know, nobody's really using premium materials and premium manufacturing processes. Um, you know, everybody seemed to be making them, you know, it did hit a certain price point um, and kind of make them, you know, good enough for most, most people or really for, you know, most whitetail shots, but um, really not kind of as good as they could be. So 
I started a several year process of, of design analysis, prototyping, testing, iterating on design, went through a number of steels and heat treat processes, went through quite a few geometry changes to the blades. And, um, you know, after several years of doing that, I, I got to head to where I really was confident. I put it through, um, put through a couple of elk, um, where I was getting pastures at long distance, you know, true shoulder blades, staying sharp, um, no damage. And so I was getting the, the good long range flight, excellent penetration, um, with, you know, without bending or breaking, that really slows down her penetration. And, um, yeah, I consider bringing it to market. I really just had made it for myself. Um, and my, my kind of my friends and family, but, um, met a guy up in the mountains that uh, was a younger guy. We were both backcountry hunting and we started hunting together for a few years. And he had, um, he had a marketing background and we decided to team up and, and bring a product to market. And that was uh, 2016. We formed the company and about January, 2017 is when we first went to uh, like the Denver sportsman show and, and launched the product. Wow. That's, that's kind of, perceivably fast 2016 go to like kind of bring the plan together in 2017 going to market what show did you go to out of the gate just the um international sportsman's expo in in denver denver um you must have what did what did that feel like for the like the kind of like the launch you know the debut how how did that go for you well you know really it started slow nobody had Nobody had heard of the product. We just first were showing it there. Um, and it was really, it, it, so it started pretty slow in 2017. We, you know, a lot of guys don't want to, don't want to try the, the newest thing out without hearing how other people, how it worked for other people, really. Sure. Um, we, you know, we placed it with some guys that we knew were just killers that had gotten a lot of, a lot of animals, guys like Aaron Snyder, um, out of Denver, who was, um, you know, he has his own Kafaro cast podcast. He had Gertie Bowman podcast for a while, but anyway, he, he gets 20 plus animals a year. We had him hunting with it and he gave it high reviews. We had, we had a few key guys that, um, really kind of agree that it was a step up from what was available out there. And, and so, it, you know, it was a slow start, but I think as people used it, they realized, and to be honest, I, I was amazed at how well they worked compared to what I thought was possible with the broadhead. Um, if you'd have told me, you know, be, before I started that you could have a broadhead actually get a double shoulder blade pass through on a bull elk at, at a long distance, say 50, 60 yards go through and, and stick in the ground on the other side and still shave hair with it. I would have thought, you know, that's crazy. Um, but really with, with the right tool steel, the right heat treat process, the right sharpening process, multi-stage grinding and honing, um, really high strength feral materials. We use either titanium, grade five titanium on our lightweight heads or a hardened steel on our higher weights. Um, it's achievable. And, I think a lot of people don't realize they'll, they'll think, well, my broadheads all steel construction right now. Um, well, you know, steel can vary from a, 
a bar that you can bend in half with your hands to something that's, you know, incredibly strong and hard um, through the different steel types and alloying elements and heat treat process. Um, the other thing that a lot of people don't realize, I think, is just the difference you can get with, um, say, a cut on contact two blade type head versus a three blade chisel point. Um, and for sure for a mechanical, but just the huge difference in force to penetrate that you have with those different head designs, um, just to begin with, just with that geometry. And then as you get something that's extremely sharp and holds its edge as it slices all the way through, and the force is just a fraction of the force it takes for the other heads out there. So you get that extreme penetration. And we get guys that are taking funnels on elk and coming out the, the hindquarter. Um, and so the, the, the penetration that's possible with, you know, the high end, highest end materials and processes is, is, um, I, I think what's really happened is when most people have tried them and they have that kind of experience, they're just kind of blown away and they tell their buddies and they're just strong, you know, supporters and customers. And so we've grown a lot in the last really just a few years since we've, this is our fourth, fourth year since we've launched and our marketing budget is very small. You know, it's almost all just word of mouth. People have good experience and pass it on. Yeah. That's the best marketing. I mean, truly that and referral, like referrals are the, the best marketing you can get. And if you have some bigger names that are standing behind your product, not because maybe you're paying them some huge dollar amounts, but because they truly believe in it and they're having better success with it, it's going to reverberate and create a ripple effect for sure. And a successful hunt. I mean, you can't ask for better advertisement. Yeah, and guys like um, Cameron Haynes have used our, he's my broadheads, and he's, he's been showing them a fair amount when he's out shooting broadheads. He shot his bear with it last year that, um, you know, he carried out over his shoulder. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I I couldn't afford to pay Cam Haynes to shoot him, but I haven't paid him anything. <laughs> I just gave him a few broadheads when I've met him, and he's he's been great about um, giving him a try. And, and, and I think he's using them because he realizes, um, and he's told me that, you know, they just always fly through and they're very sharp and really strong and durable and things like that. So, yeah, I agree. That's the best. I, I think, I think great marketing only gets the company like really rolling for a year or so. And then people realize that this product isn't what it You got to have the chops. You got to um, have the chops to back it up. You know, you, what's this saying? Like, you, I'm going to like Chris Farley this, but you know, you, you can't, I mean, you could spray paint a, a turd gold, but it's still a turd, you know? And in this case, you get true gold. There's no turd here, right? You don't have to even spray paint it at all. It's just beautiful by itself. Yeah, I worked for, I've done product development as a mechanical engineer for many companies for about 25 years. Um, and that was always kind of a, a battle with marketing. I mean, really good marketing guys, they don't need a good product. They just, you know, come up with their um, spiel of how they're going to sell it. And in fact, it was often an argument of, I'd want to make a product better for some company, but the costs wouldn't necessarily justify a higher selling price. Um, and so that was often a battle that I was always trying to make rough. the top performing product. And if, if we couldn't, if we couldn't quant, if we couldn't justify, say a price increase or, or um, that the customer would, for sure know about it um, or, or want it, it was very hard to get those improvements in. So that's one thing 
um, when when I started the the company with my partner at the time, Eric, that was one thing I I required is that. I want to use the best materials manufacturing processes. I want to make this as good as possible because really, because I want to use it. I want to be a better bow hunter and I'm going to use the products and I don't want to compromise. And you'll know in your mind, if you were to have, you'll, it's like you're your own worst critic. So if you were to compromise, I don't think you could live with it just even for yourself, let alone your customers. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's just not what I was interested in doing. Um, you know, there's there's enough other cheap cheap heads out there that you know just launch a new head design each year or whatever. But I mean, to me, they're kind of all the same old thing. Most of them are just lo- low end, low cost materials. Um, you know, aluminum, often aluminum ferrules or soft steel ferrules, and 420 blades. Um, you know, 95% of the broadheads out there are are similar in that way that they're just using the lowest cost. You know, materials manufacturing processes and i mean i understand um companies got to make money especially big companies you know there's a lot of, there's a lot of overhead a lot of people to support and when you're selling broadheads uh three packs for 30 or 40 bucks um your manufacturing cost within those big companies has got to be like maybe 25 percent of the selling price you've only got a couple of dollars total for materials manufacturing processes and um and yeah, I mean, that's our broadheads cost more, of course, but they're costing, you know, 10 times as much to make as, as a lot of the heads out there. Right. They do cost more, but look at a standpoint where if, you know, you want to take your skills to the next level as, a, you know, we'll call it a bow hunter or a woodsman, and you want to take responsibility of learning how to sharpen them. I mean, I've got a couple of, uh, of the V100s that I've shot three deer with, pull them out, like you said, pull them out of the dirt, uh, run them over some, some some sand cloth, and then strop them, get them all nice and sharp again. They're shaving shaving hair, stuff it back in the quiver, and, and get it get it going again. You know, on the next deer that comes rolling through, I I don't know how many of other broadheads I've used where I use them up. I'm looking for replacement blades. It's that time of year where you can't find replacement blades and replacement blades. You get enough for three or four heads for call it 15, 16 bucks for replacement blades. And if you're shooting a lot of deer, like I was for a while there, uh, it adds up over time. So if you can not lose the broadhead, you broadheads really, they last a lot longer. They're more durable. Yeah, that's a it's a different way of thinking for most people that and it was for me too, that a broadhead that you'd reuse a broadhead. You know, I was used to something's always bent or broken on on broadheads. Um but through prototyping and testing, um they were you know, it was expensive just to make um a small batch of blades and heads. Um and so through my testing over the years, I was reusing them a lot, resharpening them and I realized that, hey, once I went to the, you know, a high enough strength ferrule material and a high enough strength and impact toughness blade tool steel, A2 tool steel, that, um, man, through an, through an animal, through even heavy bones, I will, they're still spinning true. Um, and so, yeah, they can be touched up and shot over and over. We've had, got a friend of mine that 
was doing some dope dope patrol and 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 shot seven does so far with one head um and i've shot two elk in one year with the same head myself and we've had yeah so so there's a lifetime warranty on them um typically you can you can touch them up we've got some sharpening videos on our website how to do that you can typically um sometimes you the first year say you shoot you can pull it out of the dirt clean it up if you can still shave hair with it and it looks fine spins true you can put it right back in your quiver um that's kind of a test i do is is, is it you know shaving hair on my arm or, or not um if not you know if there's a sandy you know a little rocky soil or whatever um might need a little touch up but typically you can you can touch them up um pretty quickly and and go hunting with them again and we do sell replacement blades for guys who just don't want to sharpen, but with our lifetime warranty, if you bend it or break it, we replace it. So yeah, I think overall you can actually save money. If you figure a lot of guys are buying a couple, you know, a couple, three packs a year of, of, um, cheaper heads, at least, um, you know, they target shoot some and often they just bend in the targets and then they buy some more to, to hunt with. Um, Versus ours, they're more expensive, um, two and a half to three times more expensive, probably. But um, yeah, if you can use them over and over and use them for multiple years, they can pay for themselves. Yeah, it seems like more of an investment than a cost. And who is it they were talking to that said they were, it was kind of a joke, but they're like, and my wife asked, my wife asked me if I'm shaving my legs because he's using his legs for like, you know, to. Yeah, that was <laughs> our, our buddy Dave. That was, okay. Yeah. I go remember. But yeah, he was re rehoning the edges of his and, and running them through, you know, running them through the target. And that's what I do with mine all summer long. Is Shave I sh- your legs? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm hairless enough down there, I guess. But, no, I'm constantly shooting mine through foam. And I had one where I, I whistled right through the foam and, and caught a T-post. And I boogered up the tonneau tip pretty good. Um, and I just took it and put it in the jig, and I, I worked that tip back. It's not perfect, but you put it in, the, you know, reattach it to the arrow and give it a spin, and it's still – Spins pretty true, and it still hits the bullseye out to 30 yards. So, I mean, that's a pretty durable, and at 70 pounds, I think at 20 yards, I whistled through that target, and it, it dead centered a T-post. It actually caught just to the side and actually sliced the T-post, and I think I broke the arrow, but the head itself was fine. The ferrule was nice and straight yet. Uh, I don't know that if that isn't enough testament. I mean, I've, de- I've, I've destroyed one by being an idiot and bumping my release when I was pulling back. And I, I shot it right into a concrete wall and I destroyed it. Last winter, wasn't it? Yeah. It was one of my wide cuts. I (laughs) bought a three pack to test them out. And yeah, I, I bumped my release as I came to full draw and it, it missed the target by about six inches and, and just exploded on impact. So there's nothing, nothing stopping that. That's pretty, pretty tough. A concrete wall. Yeah. There's a lot of, you can, there's been a lot of reviews on our broadhead. You can see out there, and some guys choose to shoot concrete blocks, and uh, we usually do pretty good. I mean, they usually stuck <laughs> in there. Um, steel plates. So A2 tool steel is used in metal stamping dies um, very often because of its ability to get a sharp edge and have have excellent impact toughness. So um, when people shoot uh, steel plates, typically it's slicing through them pretty well. Um, you know, I, I tend to test more uh, bones, like moose femurs, things like that. Right. And, uh, That's realistic. Yeah. With that, yeah. I mean, the worst worst thing you're going to kind of hit on an animal is um, 
is a heavy bone, leg bone, something like that. Um, and yeah, ours penetrate bone really, really well. And typically there's no damage. Once in a while you get a little bit of a tip or just a very pointed tip um, can be smashed or bent over slightly, just that last, you know, 30, 40 thousandths. And typically, typically not when I'm just shooting a still bone, um, you know, it just had like thought out, but on an animal when things are moving, you see that a little bit more where it's, it still gets through the bone, but there may be a little of a side movement where you have that very pointed tip um, bend a little bit, but, and that's just, I mean, I'm talking like 30, 40,000 at the end, the rest of the blade, you know, you know, you don't bend through the main blade. It stays, it stays solid. It passes through um, and you don't really lose any energy like you would on blades that are just kind of bending, bending over or ferrules bending where you lose a tremendous amount of energy and the broadhead just kind of stops, you know, right there on impact. Sure. And what's, uh, what's the science behind the tonneau tip? Just curious. What's the definition you know, of the tonneau tip too uh, for us lay folks over here in the room, Greg? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, tonto tip is, um, means there's kind of a sec. If you think, I think it was originally with like the Tonto sword where it's a shorter sword and there's a second angle at the, at the end that, that shortens it up and it makes it a little more stout at the end. Um, and there's Tonto blade knives that are kind of for, for you might use it for puncturing, uh, you know, steel or something like that, where there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a larger angle at the end. Um, and so the reason I did it is I was testing different broadhead designs and, you know, what I saw from like a three blade chisel point or three blade kind of cut on contact one piece versus a two blade, um, in the iron wool broadheads, for those that haven't seen them there, it's, it's a two blade head with a bleeder. So you've got a, a main blade, um, and then you've got a cross cutting blade back behind it. And what I saw is that, um, two blade heads were, were way out penetrating three blade heads, um, like a chisel point or a, or even like what you would call a one piece cut on contact three blade, um, just night and day different. Well, I mean, it's significantly further through the target because the two blade is really, really is a cut on contact. Whereas a lot of three blades will say they are, but they're not really that sharp at the tip. So if you push them into say deer hide, it's going to take a tremendous amount of force to push into that hide. Um, in fact, I was just doing some testing recently where an iron wheel head, I'll pull that up here. Yeah, the iron wheel head was taking 11 pounds to push through hide and muscle. Um, this is on an Audad, but it was it's similar kind of to a deer for for um, hide and then and hide thickness, I would say. It took 11 pounds to push the iron wheel broadhead all the way through the hide and muscle. The uh, three-blade chisel point, it took 81 pounds yeah. to push through that same oh. hide. Well, and, and you're talking really uh, a, a, a very sharp slice off the iron wheel versus a, a sharp poke off of, you know, something with a, a chisel tip. It does take more effort out of a out of a poke than it does a slice, especially if it's sharp at the end. Yeah, you can you can do that for yourself. You know, take a three blade chisel pointing if that's what you're shooting today and push it through um push it through a deer hide or something. It takes a tremendous amount of force to tear through the hide. Um but anyways, 
so initially I saw, well, two blades are taking a lot less, they're, they're penetrating a lot further through all these different kind of mediums I was testing. I had, I had elk shoulders actually, it was one of the things I was shooting through that had the high end muscle and shoulder blades on them. Um, and so I started looking more and more at two blades, testing more of those. But what I was finding is the ones that, the ones that just were one kind of triangular shaped blade that had one angle all the way out to the point, those points became very weak and they would break on heavy bone impact. Um, break or bend over depending on what kind of heat treatment they did and what kind of hardness they did. But I realized from that that if I shorten up that tip, um, so the Tonto, we've got, so the kind of the main triangle of the blade is at, um, is at 22 degrees per side, I think. And then at the end, I'm at uh, 44 degrees per side. So it shortens the, it brings the tip in, shortens the overall blade length, and adds a lot of strength. That's a lot of bending strength to that tip. Being shorter too, I mean, you got less chance of things levering when when they're bouncing around inside of an animal too. Well, Greg, you had that full body kind yeah. of pass through on that doe um, from our season opener back on September twelfth, um, and you got a pretty deadly combo. Like you, you're using the iron will. Uh, broadhead, but you're also using the ethics insert outsert system and the vector arrow with the yeah, heavy I mean, spine. I, you got I did a lot of work this summer <laughs> on on tuning a heavy arrow, and I just rather than taking my bow back and forth to the bow shop to try to you know flip top hats and mess around with all the stuff, I just built the arrow to what my bow could shoot and knock tuned it and paper tuned it bare shaft until I shot bullet holes, and then I came up with the combination of what it is now, and then fletched it up and shot it again and then screwed a, you know, an iron wheel S125 to the front of it and and the uh, the wide 125 and the S125 is just it's right with with the field points and I got to do some work with the with the wide I think it's a, a lot of it's my my shooting form but um yeah I had I've had great results with with the smaller the the solid and the and the V the, the vented head so the v100 was my first head that I, I shot and i bought them right away in 2017 right when you guys were kind of hitting the market with everything and uh went on doe patrol okay. killing Great. killing a bunch of does right away in 2017 in an area that needed major management and then uh killed my biggest buck to date with it and then just started playing around with the heavy arrow thing and I just thought, well, I might as well screw a heavier broadhead to the front of it too to kind of help my weight. And I, I really am imp- impressed with, with the the S one twenty five. It's it's a phenomenal head. Greg's setup really is very impressive, and uh, it wouldn't be everything it is without uh, Vector Custom Shop. So this is a pretty good time for us to get into the shot of the week. All right, the shot of the week is brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. Head on over to VectorCustomShop.com. Use code WHERE, the number two, the word hunt, for 10% off. I recommend starting with a test pack of two arrows and go from there. Get yourself kind of tuned up and comfortable. Make sure your arrows are flying straight. If you can do the paper tuning, uh, please reach out to Greg for help, not me. He'd be a great uh, resource for you there. Um, but, you know, I love shooting their, their products. I've 
significantly improved the confidence behind the drop for myself with uh, their arrows. It's just, it's been a really uh, fun journey to actually start to tune some things that way. And, you know, by going through Vector Custom Shop, you simply fill out things like your draw length, your draw weight, the number of cams, um, your bow make and model, that kind of stuff, as well as like what you're hunting, what game, whether it's elk or, you know, whitetail or mule deer, whatever, pig, hog, um, and your style of hunting. Are you hunting from like a tree stand or uh, from the ground, etc.? You know, how far are your shots? All of these things, right, get factored into it and they're gonna outfit that build with an ethics insert outsert system um, with a spine that's gonna be really tailored to your hunting style and what you have going on there. So uh, great, great product, great customer service, great guys, great company. They're here out of Wisconsin, uh, basically in our backyard. So uh, give them a follow on their social channels too. But uh, yeah, VectorCustomShop.com. Let's get into the shot of the week. I'm going to kind of take the reins here. So Friday, we went out. You you decided to go sit a spot that we had scouted. Take us through what happened there. Yeah, I've implanted over my mind about 100,000 times. So Yeah, you've rewound it, respun it, flipped it upside down, turned it inside out, and put it back together again. And the end result is... You missed. Miss. Yep. The punchline is I'm fairly certain at this point I just had it misranged being up in the tree and not having a rangefinder. I uh, shot over the back of the deer. Mm-hmm. I think he was at 15 yards and I shot at 20. And that's that. The arrow was much further than where the deer, you know, was. Um, no blood, no fur, no guts, no nothing. Uh, deer ran off, didn't look back once and just freaking beelined out of there. Um, nice buck, big buck for me, came up last light out of the east, heading west, stopped to work a rub line, or I'm sorry, a uh, scrape that I did not know was there until after I'd gotten down. Um, looked like he was looking my, he was looking my direction, um, maybe concerned about something happening like beyond me or past me. And so for that reason, I didn't draw back then. I was too like worried that. Uh, I would have, you know, had him see me or something like that, right? So he started walking. There's two ways he could have gone. He went the the worst of two ways, which is fine. And while he was walking, I did draw back at that point and got my, you know, sight pin on him in the brown, quartering away, and uh, let her rip and just clean miss. So I was pretty confused because I've been shooting the hell out of my bow and but I haven't been shooting it out of a tree stand. So that's, yeah. uh, I'm not exactly sure what I did wrong, short of being maybe misranged, but it was, it was a tough break. It's easy to do, especially if you've not taken a whole lot of shots at anything from an elevated position. It's mm-hmm. very easy to shoot over the top of your target. So that's something that you just have to work on. You have to get your stand up in the tree, a couple sticks high and start shooting at a target, go from 10, then go from 15, then go from 20, and work your way out. That's all I can, you know, give yep. you for advice. Well, it's is, funny, is we practice we, that angle. You and I shot that course up in Stevens Point, and we were at an elevated deck shooting way down, super mm-hmm. steep decline, but you ranged it. You know, and I yep. know that these rangefinders take into account the angle, too, yep. and so that was dead on, but I have to assume that if I would have just winged it, you yeah. know, it could have been a different outcome, which is essentially what I'd done. I thought, well, within 20 yards, I should just be fine. You know, that's kind of the thought process I had. Right. And everything well, there was 
that I was going to shoot at was going to be within 20 yards. Absolutely. He had no intentions of shooting much further past that because things can react a little bit more further out you get. Yeah. So yeah. now you have a rangefinder. Get out and practice with that, and you're going to be surprised. You're going to look at stuff, especially if you get up on an elevated position. Mm-hmm. You're going to look and go, you hit it with the rangefinder, and then you just kind of, or even just look at it once and take a guess. Yep. Guess at it first. Go eh, 22, 27, whatever. Then hit it with the rangefinder. You're going to be surprised how much closer it actually is. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. You know, I got down. I was by the time I got out of the tree after this all ha- had happened, it was much darker. Obviously, we're at last light, anyways, and things looked really different from the ground. I was like, "Holy oh, shit!" <laughs> you know, like the grass was really tall. Everything mm-hmm. was like different, you know. So, I got to believe that that there's a. I learned a little bit about the fact that I probably could have drawn back earlier on that deer, but without having that many encounters with a deer like that before, I was trying to like be as smart as possible. And I, my thought is, well, if I would have drawn back, then I wouldn't have had the shot at all, right? Right. But who knows? Maybe I would have um, had a better shot. So these, these are the, this is the problem. Right. The scenario. Well, and you just got to get in front of more deer. That's bottom line. The more they see, need to get in front of me. No, you need to get in front of them. <laughs> You're there before they are. That's, they come to you. That's true. They need to be in front of me so I can take my shot at them. That's right. All right. So there you have it. The shot of the week was me throwing an arrow over a deer's back, uh, just misjudging the distance and I'll replay that over and over. But I've learned quite a bit just from that moment. And as my dad just messaged me and said, I bet you that deer learned something too. (laughs) I'm sure he's right about that. So let's get back into our interview. I was just gonna say, this might be a good time to like kind of, uh, talk about the different broadheads that you guys do offer. Our initial offering was, was our V, our V series heads. Um, we make them every 25 grains. So we got a V100, V125, all the way up to, to V200. And those were, it's uh, it's got an inch and a 16th wide main blade, a three quarter inch wide bleeder blade for a 1.8, one two inch total cut. And so that was the original broadhead I spent many years developing, um, you know, going for max penetration on big animals like elk, you know, to make it through the shoulder blades. Um, 62,000 thick A2 tool steel um, with a with a cryogenic treatment and a triple temper to it, and you don't know what that means other than mm-hmm. it, what it does is it, it makes it a very high hard. Yeah, it makes it as deadly as a hatchet, hard. pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's trying to just get the maximum performance out of that steel, where I can get it um, still have a very hard 60 Rockwell C hardness. Um, you know, most blades out there are around 50 Rockwell C and 60 compared to 50, you know, ask a knife maker what that difference is. It's huge in the ability to get a really sharp edge and hold that edge as you slice it through. Um, but so I can get that 60 Rockwell C hardness, but also have excellent impact toughness. Um, so even though it's way harder, it's also got much higher impact strength than say 420 or 440 or the other steels being used out there. Um, and, you know, A2 has that unique ability and that's why it's used for metal punches, stamping dies, things like that. But um, spent spent about a year working on the heat treat process to really try and push the performance much as I could out of that steel. Um, 
Anyway, that's our V V100. We, we we use the same steel in all of them, and same blade thickness as well. The sixty two thousandths. Um, so our original V100, it, it's a it's a vented head, inch and sixteenth wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder. Um, and then we came out with our S series, which is that same size blade but with no vents in it. So it's a solid. Um, S series is kind of for solid main blade. So non-vented inch and 16th wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder, 0.8 inch toe cut. Um, and then we have our buff series, which is that same head without a bleeder. If you're going for just maximum penetration, that's really all you care about. Um, if you, if you drop the bleeder, you can get a little more penetration potentially. And so big guys that were going to go Cape Buffalo hunting and asking what was the best head to use and, I decided, you know, I pull that bleeder out for that because you're going through these thick, you know, inch or so or more thick rib bones that are, are kind of overlapping where you're going to hit them for sure. Um, and you want to get max penetration through that. And we've had a lot of guys get uh, complete pass-throughs on Cape Buffalo, both sides, uh, with that head. Um, but I, I'd recommend really for deer or elk or anything in North America, I like the bleeder. I like that cross cut to open up that hole, you know, keep that, keep that hole open, uh, get more blood out, more blood on the ground. And they penetrate great through, um, through bones as well. So so that's our S series buff series. And then new this year was our Y series. So it's a, it's an inch and three eighths wide main blade with a three quarter inch wide bleeder. So for two and an eighth inch total cut. And this one, people have been bugging me for a while, just saying they're getting such great penetration that they feel like you know, they, could, they could get through that animal with a wider head, have a little more you know, room for error. If you shoot, if you, if you hit back, say, you know, a liver, one lung, um, one lung or just liver or, you know, even guts, just to cause more trauma, get the animal down faster. And, and you know, I've, I've kind of argued you don't need it. Our 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 standard heads um, being so sharp and cutting all the way through, you actually get a lot of a lot more slicing compared to other heads where they might be tearing or pushing tissue aside. And and um, you know, I think the last eight whitetails I shot were died in sight. So I was um, really trying to argue to people you don't need a wider head. But in the end, I started prototyping, testing it, and you know, I think it's a great head for whitetails. I the deer, I, the buck I shot last year in Indiana, it was a one long liver hit and, you know, ran hundred yards and dropped, dropped dead. And man, there was a lot of blood. And I feel like just having that bigger cut and more, um, you know, more blood flow probably did drop that animal quicker and made him die faster than, than he would have. Um, the same thing if you hit even further back than that. So I still like the, our standard heads. Our S125 is my, kind of my go-to for elk. Um, my shots on elk this year were, were pretty far. Um, I almost hesitate to say how far, but I do share our broadheads every day at, at um, you know, long range, 50 to 100 yards. I try to shoot a few at 100 yards every day and keep. And so, you know, I do a lot of long range shooting. My bow is well tuned. My arrows are are precise, you know, um, but anyway, my Colorado bull, 82 yard, um, complete pass through, following the arrow, 20 yards past it in the brush. And 
an animal rant. It was it was through the lungs and top of the heart that that I took off running, made it about fifty yards, just tipped over and, and dropped. And so at that distance of pass through, I mean they just they fly really well and they get excellent penetration. Um, then my my Montana and that was a it was a big bull. It was a, about a three forty um, rack and that was the biggest body animal I had ever seen. Those those hindquarters were hard to lift, so that was a giant animal. Um, in in Montana, the shot I just had a few days back was 64 yard shot in a in a crosswind, and you know I, I shoot a lot out here in the in the valley here in the foothills of Colorado, and so I'm shooting in the wind a lot. I've got I've got a weather station. I know what the wind is when I'm shooting. I track you know how much drift I get, so I have a good I have a good feel for how to make a shot in the wind and. You know, I aimed a few yards right. I knew it was going to blow a few, a few inches, I should say, a few inches right. And sure enough, it, that's exactly how much it drifted. I hit right through the crease and got a um, double on pass you on that bullet at 64 yards. Um, awesome. So those are both for the S125. Our V, our V series, S series are excellent. I think long range shooting are wide. Uh, we had all our testers shoot to 60 yards and report good groups, but um, I kind of tell people. For the white head, it's kind of 50 yard and underhead. Um, a great white tail, black bear head, I think. And I carry them in my quiver for elk hunting too. I just um, I put them in when I'm you know over water. I think the shot's going to be under 50, but um, when they're potentially going to be longer than that, um, I'm usually using our standard heads. Yeah, they just they don't plane as much, and they there's less margin for error with a with a narrower head. Well, there's more margin for error, I guess, because they cut the wind better. That's yeah, you know, wild. Kind of those... the, the more... Go ahead. Sorry, the bigger, yeah, the bigger the head, the the more, um, the more pressure, the more surface for pressure to act, you know, on the on that front of the arrow, and so you can you can counteract that by having more more fletching on the back. Um, you know, I rec- you know, I personally like like three higher profile veins, like um, Blazer or a Max Hunter or Q2I Fusion two um, are three that I've tested a lot this year, with about a two and a half to three degree offset or helical. Um, you know, if you got enough fletch back there, uh, you really kind of need more fletch in the back when you have more area, more surface area in the front to get pushed off, just to keep it to keep it stable. Sure. Um, if like, if like lower profile, like a max stealth or something or heat veins, um, those are good too. Uh, a lot of, I don't, I don't think they work quite as well, but in like a four vein configuration, I think they were, were great. Um, and they, they work well in three vein too. I just see a little better, a little better steering in, um, in higher profile. Yeah, for certain. I would agree with that. Cause I think, uh, the first, First time I was shooting the wide, I had uh, like an AAE. It was a, a smaller vein, and switched to the Q2I Fusion, and definitely saw an improvement in flight. But I think I need to put a little more helical on, a little more cowbell on the, uh, on the fletching there. Every podcast you manage to get cowbell into the thing. Yes, <laughs> I tell you. Yeah, um, spin spin is a good thing. You know, a lot of guys. Um, our broadheads shoot really well for, I don't know, 95% of the people will come back and say, man, this is the best flying 
fixed head I've used. And then occasionally I get somebody that, that has a problem and I'll try and work with them. And, um, I can tell you the things to look at is, you know, one I mentioned, have enough fletch and back. Um, if you have a little target fletch at, you know, straight or one degree offset, um, those don't work very well with, with, um, broadheads in general, I'd say, but the bigger the fixed head, you know, the more vein you're going to need. Um, but also have, have some spin to it. Um, most, most arrows you buy with their pre-fletched are at one degree offset, um, or some are straight fletched. And I like, I like, um, at least two degree offset or helical. You know, having that arrow spin, all of a sudden now you have some rotational momentum that wants to keep it on track, keep it in a straight line. If you, if, if you got a little wobble, um, let's say you get a little crosswind or something that wants to push it off, off track, a little, little wind pressure acting on that blade up front, say, that wants to push it off track. Um, if it's just going, if your arrow is not spinning, just going straight, you know, it can get pushed off track a lot easier than if it's got some rotational momentum. It's like a gyroscope. Um, you know, you spin up the gyroscope, it takes a lot of torque to move that thing at all. Sure. Um, same kind of thing when your arrow is flying downrange. So, I like having a good amount of spin um, in the arrow for that reason. The other thing is that let's just say your arrow or your insert or, or whatever isn't perfectly straight and that, and that tips off off center a little bit. Well, if, if it's rotating, it kind of uh, bounces itself out and can still go straight. If it's not rotating, that the pressure is just going to want to kind of keep pushing it off in the same direction, you know, the same way. So, Right. Yeah, those are some things. Uh, yeah, make sure your head spin. Make sure your arrow spin true. Get a little arrow spinner. Make sure the the tip is staying right on center. Um, that can be a problem with your arrow insert or or broadhead if it's not. Um, and yeah, to tune your bow. Um, I like to shoot through paper. It's initial to kind of paper tune it, and then kind of the higher higher level tune is you know, shoot at 20 and 30 yards with a flex shaft and a bear shaft and see does that, I want that bear shaft to hit like right next to the flex shaft and be kind of parallel. Um, and if, if, if your flex, if your bear shaft sitting way off to one side or another and that it's at some angle, well, that means your arrow's not really coming straight off your bow and you could, um, and it depends on which bow you have, you know, how exactly to tune it, but you, you probably can find, um, some 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 tuning videos on how to do that but getting your arrow to come straight off your bow is it it helps you tremendously in a bunch of ways for one your broadheads are going to fly much better your field points are going to fly better too um and then you don't lose all that energy from your arrow fishtailing around on the way to the to the animal and you can kind of maximize your performance yep Perfectly flying arrows do a lot better in penetration than not perfectly flying arrows. So it's it's just like got to start with a strong foundation. Yeah, you got to start with the fundamentals. Get everything flying straight, and then you can play. Yeah, oh. no doubt. You want that momentum to all be in line when that when that hits. You know, all the momentum from your arrow, that mass times velocity, as you're hitting that animal, all it's going to get transferred into a force over a over time and um, just keeping that all having as much retained momentum as you can when you get there and then having it all in a straight line to drive through that animal just gives you so much better penetration. 
Absolutely. When the fact that you're you're killing animals double lung full pass throughs twenty extra yards at eighty yards and sixty yards, you know, you have the confidence to take those shots, but you you're also finely tuning your gear and equipment, which builds that confidence and you're practicing, like you said, daily taking those long range shots. Are you friends with Cameron Haynes? Have you shaken his hand? Like, what was that like? <laughs> I feel like you'd break my bones. I am, yeah. yeah. I'd say he, he knows who I am at this point. I actually met him the first time um, at that Denver Sportsman show. Man, I bet it's been 12, 15, probably 15 years ago now. It was when he first came out with his book, Backcountry Bowhunting. And uh, I could say I maybe knew him before he was famous. He, he was uh, he was the editor for Eastman Bowhunting Journal at the time, and he just gave a little seminar on backcountry bowhunting, which I listened to. I didn't actually know who he was yet. Um, I guess I, I read, maybe read a couple of his articles on Eastman's bow hunting, but um, I heard him talk about loading up his pack with, you know, 60 pounds and, and going ten, hunting 10 miles back and carrying his whole camp with him every day on the hunt and then just, you know, sleeping out wherever he ended up. And I was so amazed by that. Um, I was already backcountry hunting, but um I'd backpack in and leave, leave camp and kind of hunt from there. But I was, I was only going to, you know, a couple miles at the time and I just couldn't believe what he was. And he was going solo way back in there. And I mean, now everybody, now lots of guys do that. I mean, I do that, you know, tons of people do that. But at that time I never heard of it before, you know, you know, this is like 15 years ago. So, so after the seminar, I went over, he was sitting at the Eastman's booth um, by himself there was, you know, nobody came up to ask him any questions or talk to him. So you can tell him, you know, I mean, what a difference that would be now and with his fame. But man, I went over and talked to him for probably close to an hour. I just was intrigued by um, doing the backcountry hunting and said, yeah, my wife would kill me if I was, you know, 10 miles back by myself for 10 days. <laughs> you know, he just laughed, said, you can, you can get satellite phones. I'd never heard of that either. But anyway, no, he was a real, uh, just seemed like a real down to earth guy. Like he could have been a buddy of mine from high school kind of thing. And, um, just real genuine trying to help me out and actually inspired me a lot to just go further in. I started hunting wilderness areas the following year. Um, and I was just talking to a buddy of mine that started hunting with me back then. So I've been hunting wilderness areas for I mean, kind of backcountry stuff for 16 years now. And, Cam Haynes is definitely an inspiration, uh, meeting him, talking to him, reading his book. I met him in years later. And, and now these days I meet him. Um, it, I've met him at ATA and I'll give him some broadheads and uh, he'll give me some feedback, things like that. So that's cool. Yeah. He's, he's a good guy. I, um, uh, a lot of people give him, seem to give him a hard time. Um, you know, because he's kind of over the top with, running 200 miles and, you know, carrying a bear out on his back and all this stuff. And, uh, and that you don't need to do all that to be a great, to be a good hunter. Right. Um, it's just know, what he's doing. No, it's but, just what he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what he wants to do. He likes pushing himself to the extreme. Um, and he's really just a guy that wants to be an ultimate bow hunter. I mean, that's the way he was. That's the impression I got from him back then. He was pushing himself just to kind of be the ultimate bow hunter. And, and, you know, really he's been an inspiration to me. I've, I've the last several years I've been successful on, you know, over the counter backcountry 
um, elk hunts with good bulls, six point bulls. And it's, uh, I've tried to push my level up of, you know, fitness, shooting, um, you know, known animal behavior. It's kind of like, it takes a whole package to be successful um, year after year. And, you know, I've known a lot, I've met a lot of guys have done it over the years and I've just kind of tried to push myself to, to get near that level. And, and, um, yeah, I've just been enjoying as I've, as I've improved my, you know, broadheads, my gear, my shooting, um, you know, my, my fitness level, you know, it's probably not as good as it was a few years back, but it's, it's still good enough that I can, mm-hmm. like on the Montana hunt, my way of uh, finding elk, my way of elk hunting is first put on miles until you find some elk in our Montana hunt. We slept at the truck the first night and hiked all day the next day until we found some elk in a back basin. Um, and when we got out, one of the guys had tracked us and, you know, he asked me, how many miles do you think we put on today? I'm like, oh man, I think it was 20, probably over 20. He said 31 miles. Wow. Oh, wow. Damn. The yeah. Um, and, you know, Damn. Cam could probably do three times, right? Right. He's conditioned. But, uh, anyway, hey, he's conditioned yeah. for it. That's so. cool. Well, you know, as we kind of trail off here a little bit towards the end, um, you know, I planted the seed earlier on before we hit the record button. I think if you have a story that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear what your most memorable hunt has been so far. And it sounds like you got a few memories to pull from here. So I'm kind of excited to hear what you got for us. Let's see here. You want to, you know, the ones that are most fresh are my, uh, my elk hunt, my two elk hunts and my caribou hunt this year. Um, let's talk about the caribou hunt. That's been a kind of a dream hunt of mine for a while. Um, first time to Alaska, I've been wanting to go up there and caribou hunt archery for, for years. And we finally got it, got it done this year with COVID and everything. I didn't know if it was going to happen, but we got, uh, we got up there and, and did it. And it was, a it was a fly-in. It was a, it was a do-it-yourself hunt, but it was a fly-in service where um, a plane flew us in, you know, one at a time with a little two-seater plane and dropped us off. We were up in the, up in the Arctic Circle, 150 miles, 160 miles north of Kotzebue is where we were. So 160 miles um, into the wilderness, uh, you know, we, that was the last town, a little fishing village, basically, that we flew out of. Dropped us off, and it was... It was just um, kind of these rolling hills, and it was all tundra. There wasn't a bush or a tree or anything. And there were some creeks flowing through there. There was mountains on, kind of snow-capped mountains on five miles either side of us. But, um, yeah, I dropped us off there, and we started seeing caribou walking, walking around. Um, and so, the you know, we couldn't hunt the first day. We just set up camp. And, uh, you know, there was only like an hour of, of darkness up there. So it was, I think it got dark at, from like two to 3 AM. So I think we slept in until like, you know, five or six got up, um, just started spotting caribou. And at first we were pretty worried about, you know, are we going to be able to get close to them? But, um, and they are just an odd animal. It was, it was kind of before the migration really started. So they're moving a lot, but they were just kind of running back and forth. We'd see one running one direction, another one running the opposite, 
exact opposite direction, like right by each other. Um, so anyway, and occasionally one would stop or lay down and I put the stock on one, um, that was, it was standing there. So I, I stalked in a ways and, you know, so open, and, but this is, it kind of was down in a low, in, in the low areas, it was wet. So it was kind of this tussocks. It was kind of balls that had a bunch of grass on them. Um, and so to, to get low enough, I was actually crawling through this stuff. And so it was a couple inches of water. So I'm crawling through water to get low enough so that I was about the level of this grass on top of these tussocks. And I crawl in and um, the, the caribou was fitted down. I crawled in to oh, maybe 70 yards or so to where I felt confident I could make the shot. And you know, I've done this on mule deer where you just kind of wait for them to stand up and they'll typically stand up and stretch a bit and, and then you'd be able to draw and shoot. Well, they would pop, they would pop up and run. Um, it was probably just a defense thing where you would just bed down for a couple minutes and then pop up and run. And so this went on over and over um, for a couple of miles. And finally, the last time he bedded down on, um, on the hillside, so where I could see his whole body and um, you know, crawled into this little berm where I felt comfortable I could make the shot and calmed down for a bit, aimed, squeezed it off, and yeah, hard shot. He stood up, took two steps, and dropped. It was a beautiful caribou and like full velvet, just this chocolate brown velvet. He had these big, um, you know, big tops to him. Um, just kind of the crazy points around. So it was, it was an amazing, uh, amazing hunt. Um, and then later that day, uh, had a grizzly come through camp and had my first, you know, eye to eye, uh, experience there with, uh, with the grizzly, um, the grizzly in the Arctic. So, you know, that, that ended well, he, uh, you know, he walked around us and kept on going. He was actually after my caribou carcass that was two miles away but he must have smelled it from over three miles and passed through so yeah that was a that was quite a day to remember we're just a little in awe over here the the pictures you just painted man that's like a hunt of a lifetime yeah, that's it's a dream that's a dream hunt and you know i hear a lot of good things about how i love to eat venison i love to eat wild game so i've heard nothing but good things about how good caribou tastes so Interesting to hear your take on that. I watch enough meat eater to <laughs> at least envision some of this stuff, but man, that's really that's really cool. Yeah, the caribou was was really good. It was you know a little different flavor, I'd say, than any other you know deer, or elk, or animal. But it it was amazing. We had we had pans full of it. Um, one of the guys brought in a fine pan and some coconut oil, and uh, we had a lot of spices, and we had. Two nights in a row, we had multiple pans full of, of backstrap steaks, mm. and oh man, was that amazing! Um, <laughs> yeah, and I've had some since I've got back, and it's 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 really good. Yeah, it's definitely a, a great meat to eat. You know, elk. I love elk. I eat elk um, a lot. In fact, I'm gonna go eat some elk chili. He says, "Well, I'm <laughs> off of this," <laughs> but that sounds uh, good. That caribou was was great too. It's awesome. Well, you know. Let's point people in the right direction here that may have interest in exploring more and learning more um, about Ironwell Outfitters and the broadheads that you guys make. You know, I did have the, you know, for those that were tuning in live, I did share 
Um, I follow along with the broadheads on your website as you're talking about them, but you know, where do people that are listening go and where would you recommend they go as the most of our audiences, whitetail um, hunters here in the Midwest? I think you'd mentioned it, but let's just kind of uh, have you touch up with that again here as we wrap up. Yeah, you can check out our, our website. It's ironwalloutfitters.com. Um, you can look through, we have some information in there. It's on, where do we, I think it's to the right, like, you know, our story and testing and things like that, or on the broadhead pages, you can scroll down and look at um, some material comparisons of our blade steel versus typical steels used out there in thermal materials. Um, so you can kind of learn quite a bit from our, our website there. Um, whitetail hunters, I, it te- depends a little bit on your setup for, but for the most part, I found very little difference in force, penetration force, when I've measured through like hide and meat um, and even shoulder blade with our wide versus our standard. So I, I feel pretty confident that um, that the wide head um, is going to work great for, you know, most guys shooting 60 plus pounds uh, on whitetail, um, probably even below. Um, the, this, our standard heads, V100, S100 are are very popular for whitetails as well. So those are great heads, but yeah, I'd say look at those. If you want to kind of follow along what's, what's new with us, our um, Instagram is at Ironwell Outfitters. Um, we have, and we share all that information to our Facebook page too, Ironwell Outfitters. So check us out. Great. Cool. Hey, we do have a caller. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring him on. Um, Casey out of um, Montana. Is it Montana? No, it's Missouri. Casey, you're live on the Word Hunt podcast. Um, how you doing? Good. What's up, Eric? How you been? You got some questions for us, bud? I was just going to say, small world. Um, is Bill still on? He is. Yeah, he's still with us here on the show. Yep. Hey, Bill, I was living in Colorado when this was like exploratory or just getting launched. I actually met Eric Whiting by chance <laughs> um, at an out at a well, we were both members on Rock Slide, and we just did one of the Rock Slide rallies where we just kind of all met up and did some hiking, and we were both kind of involved with startups at the time, and, and uh, so I just saw this pop up, and I was like, man, I never did get to talk to Bill, but I used to talk to Eric a lot, so I've been following Iron Will for a long time. I've never bought them, never used them, um, not for any reason in particular, I guess, but um, I've they're super successful i follow tony um i think it's treach yeah treach um tony treach he kills everything um but i think he's still using them isn't he he is yeah that guy's amazing that he he gets once in a lifetime box for anybody else and he gets them multiple per year um it's unbelievable man yeah, yeah. Eric, well, um, uh, yeah, Eric's, Eric's still a good buddy. He's not, um, he's not owner. He was originally a co-founder with me. Um, after a couple of years of, of work without paychecks, he, he decided to get a real job, <laughs> but, uh, we're still uh, buddies. Uh, we still hunt together at least once a year and, um, any, any, any helps me out on, on some things as well. So yeah, good yeah, guy. Good Casey, thanks, um, thanks for calling in, man. Do I didn't you... have anything else for you, Eric, unless you've got any other questions for me. Uh, you know, I didn't really bring any value to you, but just thought I'd jump on it. No, thing. this is what we're here for, man. We're a platform to, you know, connect dots and create a two-way conversation. And you just wrapped up an elk hunt. 
Where did you go? I was in Colorado. Yeah. No success, uh, but yeah. it sounds like it was uh, yeah. beautiful. Uh, well, I whiffed on one, so that's that's just how that goes. First time in my life that I ever got uh, buck fever or target panic or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, but I could not keep my my composure. It's just one of those. This bull covered, I'm going to say, about a quarter mile in like 60 seconds, and I just lost it. <laughs> shot right over him. I thought he was closer than he was because his body was so big, but um, – uh, that day was the day we found him and seven and a half out of or five out of seven and a half days of hunting i was in elk so it was it was awesome cool nice love it thanks for calling in man i appreciate it did you have any problems did the fires give me any trouble this year oh just said fire no. problems i was watching that like a hawk i've got a couple buddies that were having to make adjustments on the fly to their hunts because of the fires. And there, there wasn't one single fire in our unit. Uh, we did get a little smoky a few days. There was some not, not that far, but we, no, nah, I would say no, we weren't really impacted by that at all, thankfully. Good. Yeah, good. That's good to hear. They're still raging here. In fact, I'm only, miles, only a couple miles from the evacuation zone right now at my place. Oh boy! So, um, yeah, they're in a podcast crazy. with us. Goodness gracious! I'll be safe, man. All right, guys, I'll leave you alone. Thanks for the thanks call, for Casey. calling. Yep. Take care. Good talk. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Well, that's cool. Small world. It's smaller every day. <laughs> it does. It does. Well, <laughs> you know, folks, we're gonna go ahead and end the live broadcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, uh, Casey. Thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. Uh, everybody, we're live every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We usually have a guest. If we don't, you know, Greg will entertain you. So sure. That's how that goes. Me and finger symbols or something cool. <laughs> I, I got some downstairs. You do not. Oh, yeah, for the kids. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. What's up, everyone? Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. And this week's tip of the week has to deal with noise in the deer woods. As you're approaching your area, your hunting spot, wherever you're going, as you're doing your entry or exit route, the main thing to, to realize is that noise of natural noises aren't that big of a deal. So breaking branches, stepping on leaves, um, you know, rustling around, that's not a huge issue. Um, it will alert the deer's ears that you're there, but if they don't see you and they don't smell you, it just gives them an idea that something, something's there. Sometimes they know it's human if you're like, you know, cruising through the woods, but a lot of times it just alerts them to something being there. It doesn't alert them to the fact that you are human and you are danger. Um, what does alert them to human and danger are human noises like loud boots, like thumping and that loud, uh, like bass to your boots. Um, metal clanking on metal, sneezing and coughing, um, you know, phones going off, anything that is that is directly human related, that does alert them to danger and that does make them get out of there. But if you can keep it to a minimum with just rustling leaves and making natural noises, you'll find that deer are actually very tolerant of that and you will be able to get close and you know just the other day i broke a i broke a dead branch off a tree made a really loud snap didn't affect the deer at all 
and I still had multiple deer around me in the evening as a, a half hour later. So just a little tip guys, you know, avoid those human noises and, um, don't worry so much. Try to keep them to a minimum, but don't worry so much about those natural noises. All right. Hope it helps. Hey, thanks, Anthony. That's a pretty solid tip. I appreciate that a whole bunch. You know, depending on how early or late you get to the stand, uh, some of those sounds can be a little bit more forgiving if you got to break some branches for a shooting lane or something like that. Uh, obviously, you're going to want to get into the stand a little bit earlier to give time for the woods to kind of settle back down. Um, but I, I think that's a really solid tip overall. Thank you for sharing that one with us. And everybody, head on over to DeerVane.com and uh, be sure to follow Anthony and DeerVane on his social channels and especially his YouTube channel if you haven't already and also his podcast. So uh, great content coming out from over there. And uh, we got to do some hunting with Anthony a couple weeks ago. Um, already it's gone quick and, you know, we got put on some deer and, uh, you know, it could have been a successful hunt if the wind didn't do what the wind was doing. But, you know, anyway, some housekeeping items just to wrap up here. If uh, folks are still listening, you know, be sure to give us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you can based on how you're listening. If you have any feedback for us, let us know. You can send us a, mes a message directly. Um, we are still doing our quarterly giveaway. If you haven't signed up for our Patreon membership, you can do that by going to where2huntapp.com, click on our giveaways page. And then additionally, don't forget that we have a GPS hunting app. You can go to where2huntapp.com also, and you can download the free app. It's going to help you identify occupied and unoccupied hunting land based on other active users. A uh, bit of a sensitive topic just because some people aren't comfortable sharing their spots uh, in fear that that might mean someone's going to go take their spot. Certainly not the intention of the app, but I don't think most people use it that way. It really is a, oh, there's someone there, so great, now I can't hunt that spot kind of mentality. I noticed quite a few um, users on it over the last couple of weeks, so a lot more folks seem to be uh, turning that on as they're getting into the woods, which is great just from like a digital um, scouting perspective and an awareness piece too to know where others are in the woods among you. So uh, great tool that you can use out there. We are making some updates to that. So um, keep an eye out from us for that stuff. If you have any questions there, please let me know. And if you haven't already started tuning into our Tactic Talk mini series, we're running that through the hunting season. Uh, we're interviewing you know, people that have had a lot of success putting big deer on the ground and tagging out um, and trying to align the content with where we're at in the season. So if you're looking to get some practical strategy and tactics uh, you're going to want to tune into the Tactic Talk sections uh, or mini series, and then also our most memorable hunts, which are great episodic. Um, you know, if you if you fancy a good hunting story, it's a great place to tune into. They're short, sweet, but I think you know hunting is really all about the stories that we share and the memories that we make. So it's a it's a piece that I'm particularly fond of and really like to put out. Um, if you have a story that you want to share with us, you can do that. Uh, if you follow our link in our Instagram bio, there's a, a spot where you can click share story and it's pretty easy to do. If you're not sure, if you have questions, reach out, please. Uh, you can reach out through our social channels or you can email me at eric at where2huntapp.com. And uh, you can also just record right to your smartphone and send us that MP3 file too if you don't want to go through all of that stuff if you have a story that you'd like to share. So I'll leave everybody with that. Hope everybody has a great week, a great day. Uh, get outside, go hunt. This is it. Like we're, we're in the, the peak time when you should be getting out in the woods and uh, hunt public. <laughs>